I am, I am uh, Tim Imke, the kids leader for about a year and a half now. I have my family up on the board here. Uh, if you can see my lovely wife, well, I was, got my family over here on the board. As you can see, my lovely wife and my two boys, um, and the miracle of me being able to hold them above my head now. So still, still got it, right? So that's my family, uh, Jennifer, Isaiah, and Easton. They support me. All with all their hearts. First of all, I'm the kids' leader, right? We do this in kids' church, so I got some people might, here who might recognize it, right? When I do this, you're going to yell or say very loudly, Amen. Ready? Let's practice. Amen. amen. And every, so I get the kids to do that. I call it my Amen exercise. So ready? Amen. amen. That's right. So sometimes I have to prompt the kids, you know, who aren't listening so much to kind of get back Back to the service, guys, and, you know, get them going. But, you know, so I say that to tell the kids, don't be afraid to shout amen if you've heard something that God is really talking to you about. And so I encourage you that also. And uh, every once in a while, you'll see me go, amen. And that's what I like to get the kids to do. All right. So a little bit about me. Uh, I first went to church. I remember going at a very young age. Uh, I think my parents uh, had to, you know, they, they called me Baby Noah because... Uh, two days after I was born, they went uh, out to Georgia because they thought there was going to be a flood in Florida. And so they told me, they called me Baby Noah. So I've been in church almost my whole life. But my first memory of church was going back to a back room where a, a lady was telling the story of uh, Noah. I think it was Noah. Yeah, Noah. And, uh, you know, as she taught it so well, I was like, man, this guy's important. I better start looking for him around church. He's, he's one of the biggest church members. He's doing some great stuff around here. i got to find him. And so, of course, little Tim running around everybody, you know, that doesn't, that's definitely not Noah. He's got a long enough beard. I, and so, yeah, I, I need to say I didn't find him. <laughs> so later on, my family will find our way to uh, Trinity Church. It's now Trinity Church International. It was Trinity Assembly of God back when I was seven years old. We started going there, and uh, we're going to skip over seven years old. Tim is now 21 years old, or 28 years old. <laughs> I came back to Trinity, now Church International, and uh, had my wife and my first son, and it was an awesome time. I was taught under the, the teaching of Pastor Tom Peters. Uh, he taught me many great things, and I started to notice that I needed more. Once every Sunday was great, Wednesday nights was okay, but I wanted more. So I sought after Pastor Dana Beyer. And me and my father would go every Monday night to his Bible study. As soon as we get there, Pastor Dana would always ask me, Tim, what's your question this week? And it was awesome. I loved his, his, his way that he would ask me that because he, he would know that I had a question and he'd always be straightforward. It might take him a second to gather it all his thoughts, but he would write there, here it is in the Bible, Tim, let's talk about that answer. And he would always do that. Later on, he asked me to start coming to church in the morning to turn on the microphone and turn on the soundboard for early morning prayer. He was the first person to ask me to come to church for other than just church and learning. So he asked me to start serving the church. And it was there that I found... That prayer is essential to growth. Amen. Amen. 
But that, that's a different lesson. So we're not going to go over that right now. So um, Pastor Dana, he became my mentor. And before he left to go be with God, he told me that he saw me as his spiritual son. And I really took that to heart to be able to know that he taught me in the fact that he saw me more than just a student, but he saw me as a son. And so I, once I had that, I, since I had a spiritual father ready to teach me, like, I, I had to have more. So, a little time passed. I find my way out to Grace Chapel. And I'm pretty sure the first time I walk in the door, I heard Pastor Brian. He goes, oh no. No, no, not Tim. What's Tim doing here? Of course, that was my joke for the day. My second joke for the day. <laughs> See, Pastor Brian was my youth leader. Youth. <laughs> Pastor Brian was my youth leader. He was actually the one in church trying to get me to do more than just come to church as a youth. And I remember this one time at See You at the Polls. If anybody was uh, around in, in that time of the year, we'd do a See You at the Polls. And he tried so hard to get me to go. He tried his best. And I was there, and I told him, but, you know, Brian, it was Pastor Brian, said, Brian, you know, but, but is, is school really the place you want to go to tell everybody that you're a Christian? What, what if you get to the polls and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're that kid? Uh, or what if you get there and they start making fun of you again? Like, I, I went through that once, I don't want to do it again. Needless to say, he had an answer for all those. I don't remember if I went to the poll that first time. But I said all that to say, I wasn't the easiest kid to mentor back then. So I really uh, was thankful for his consistency in my life. Today I want to talk to you about something. I wanted to ask you, why are you still here? If you would, please turn to your Bible. If you have your Bible with me, I always tell this to the kids, and they, they're, they're kind of like, What's, you know, I should have brought my Bible. I was like, yes, bring your Bible to church. So, so would you please open to Matthew 28, 18. I'm going to read along with you. If you uh, have this version, that's great. If you don't, you can read along with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In his infinite wisdom, Jesus chose to use dedicated followers his disciples, to carry the message of salvation to the people of the world. And I'm thinking, really, God? You left it up, you left it up to us? They go, what if I don't do it right? What if, what if I'm talking, and while I'm talking, people are like, oh, I'm not going to listen to him anymore. He's, he's a Christian, I already heard about those guys. What if you go to work, and all you're like, well, I'm not going to talk to that guy anymore, i Pretty much all know his answers. It's all going to be Jesus anyways. Uh, What if I get up on stage and people are looking at me and they start to stare at me and I'd get it wrong. 
right? What, what if, Lord, what if I don't do it right? No number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, making disciples is primary to our faith because it is the, it is the way chosen by God to spread the message of the gospel. You still listening? All right. <laughs> Jesus spent more than three years making disciples, teaching and training his chosen 12. He would speak to the crowds. He would speak. Everybody would come, and they would come from everywhere. And he would speak to them, telling them all the secrets. This is what you need to know. This is important, the Beatitudes, all this good stuff. But then he would go and take his 12 and say, you know what, guys? Here's the good stuff. This is why I said that. This is how that miracle worked. This is, this is the importance of, he would recluse back to his 12, and he would teach them even more. He would teach them about the parables and the miracles, and he would send them out on ministry assignments. On, in John 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 23, it says that God honors those who follow Jesus. I like that part. That's awesome. In John 14 and 2 and 4, he says, he also taught them that soon he would be returning to his father, following his death and resurrection, although they really didn't comprehend. If you kind of look into the passages, they kind of didn't quite get it yet. And But he still made promises to them. And these are two promises. I love promises. When you see promises in the Bible... Underline them. Very good. So here's two promises that he made his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. It's amazing. And two, he will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Two promises that I am super stoked about. He also said that his promise, he would send his Holy Spirit to be with you. So he's not going to leave you alone. You're going to do better. You're going to do more things. You're going to do some awesome things. I really hold true to those promises because as a disciple, I want to see those promises come true in my life too. So we established that discipleship is the way that we learn and teach. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Bob Barnes, I got the, a chance to speak with Dr. Bob Barnes, and he was telling me, let me make sure I get the verse correct, uh, he was telling me in John 13, 14, it's right before the Last Supper. So this is like near the end of his three-year ministry, Jesus with all the twelve. And what do we see the disciples doing? They're bickering. Who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the I'm Peter the Rock. I tell all the kids in Sunday Peter Jesus loved giving nicknames, and one of them was The Rock. And the kids all love that. Now it's Peter, right? So they gave Peter the rock. He's going to be the greatest. But no, there was a mother who petitioned, you know, Jesus. I want the sons of thunder. I want them to be the best. And Jesus was like, you don't even understand part of that. But we're going to continue to go on with the mother thing. But so Jesus, right, right after they get done, there's a ritual of getting clean before that, that part. And so they got ritually clean. And then right when they're going to get the last supper, they're going to eat. They would have to wash their feet. Jesus dismissed the servant who would have washed their feet. He says, he took the towel. It says, after he put the towel around his waist, 
he started washing their feet. And he said, do this. Now, of course, we don't literally have a, a basin of water and, you know, pastors aren't out washing people's feet as they come in. So, I mean, it's not literal. But he says, do this. He's talking about serving. He says, serving is where you're going to find it. Serving is where you're going to find that next level in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. All right. I love it. I love it. Okay. It says, Jesus dismissed the servant and his duties that night, putting the towel and said to them, do this. Jesus was talking about serving one another, being sure to emphasize the absolute necessity of give, getting rid of self-exaltation among Christians. You want to let that sink in for a second. Later in verse 17, he made a promise. Underline the promises. Yeah. He made a promise. He says, It's good in Jesus' eyes to do things for other people so that they benefit more than I would to serve. And in doing so, understanding that in doing this, is where I'll find more happiness than they will. Happiness as a promise in the Bible. Whereas everybody else might say, get this and you'll be happy. Wear this and you'll be happy. Drive this and you'll be happy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Serving is where you'll be most happy. So again, I ask, why are you here? Right? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> now, I took this from Pastor Brian. Let me see your hand. If you're over the age, wait for it, 120. 120, no, no takers in the 120 range, right? So we all established we're not old, right? We all said we're not, we're not old. So don't let me see anything about what, Mr. Tim, I'm too old, uh, you know, you know, let, let, the young, let the young do it. They're, they're young. They've got time on their hands, right? Right, youth? You've got more than enough time on your hands. You've got, you've got more than enough strength. But let me tell you this. If you could, turn to Psalms 92 and 12. And we're going to kind of, verse 90, uh, the chapter 92, we're going to read most of it. I want to kind of read a little bit. Uh, of the top, and then kind of the meat of it is verse 12 through 15. So let me just kind of tell you about 1 through 5, and then we're going to drop down. So, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. With the music of the ten-string lyre and the, music, and the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hand has done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. That whole part is telling us how awesome God is. And that when we should do it, you know, day and night, all the time. Let's reach down to verse 12. I like this part. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish 
in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Who's old? They will still stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. The last line is what we're supposed to teach the next generation. Teach that through the tough times that we've gone through, how great our God is to provide, to see us through to the end. Glorifying his name the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. That's important. (laughs) So there are some characteristics of a tree. Three characteristics. They're not going to be up on the board, so you can come, come back over here. Three characteristics. Number one, they're planted. I've talked to a nursery, uh, not this nursery over here, because I also get that nursery. A nursery where they have trees. They call it nursery too. Um, two trees from the same seed pod, from the same tree, given the same amount of water, ground, soil, every, all that stuff. After they grow out of the sapling and they start to become a small tree, root this one up. Take it up. Ball the root. There's a process to balling the root, making sure all the root's there. Take it up. Move it 10 feet and replant it. Same amount of water, same amount of sunlight, same amount of fertilizer. Everything is the same. The tree that has been planted will be twice as tall as the tree that has been rooted up. The tree that has been planted will bear fruit faster than this other tree. The tree that has been planted will have the fruit that you look for when it comes harvest time. While the other tree is still struggling to get back to where it should be. There is something important about being planted in the house of God. Knowing that you're there for a reason, bearing fruit. And that brings me to my next point. Who loves fruit, right? You don't plant the avocado tree, you don't plant the peach tree for its pretty leaves. Because then you've got to rake them all up. That's no fun. And you've got to you know, mow around. That's no fun. You, you pick it because... That's what I want to eat one day. That's going to get me going. That's the part where I love it. We want the fruit. God's looking after you're planted for that fruit. Another part of the tree is my favorite. It's flexible. Now, I said the palm tree, and I want to kind of bring it back to what it said This part, because I like this part. In a palm tree, does it worry the hurricane is coming? Does it worry what's going to happen during the hurricane? It's planted. It doesn't have the choice. It's staying where it is because that's how God made me. I'm that tree. I'm going to stay here. I didn't give any feet. I got to stay right where I'm at. It's planted when the hurricane comes. It bends. It doesn't break. 
It doesn't say forget it. It says I bend. And you see it all because we live in Florida. We get to see all the really cool hurricane pictures, right? We get to see the, the leaves straight back. And after the hurricane, still there. That is what we need to show the next generation. They're looking towards you to show those characteristics planted, bearing fruit, weathering the storms, showing them the next generation. I might not be 120 yet, but I'm still young. I still have things to do for God. My next point, number three. I don't get this in kids' church. This is awesome. I'm like, that's pretty cool. It works when I say it. <laughs> Jesus is the answer to their questions. Are you mentoring somebody? Let me put it to you this way. If you don't teach them, what's going to teach them? We are in the information age. Before you had encyclopedias that the guy would come and sell us, right? Because you see the stack of encyclopedias. And if it wasn't in there because now it's four years old, you don't know. The world hasn't changed in 20 years. That's the last time I bought the encyclopedia. We're in the information age. Kids are going to find out the answers to their questions. They have their questions. They're going to ask something. We all know how fast you can get a question. I mean, if I say the right words, my phone will start lighting up and I don't have to even push the buttons, right? We can all ask Siri or do whatever we want. Don't let them go unanswered. First to the parents. I know because I know we're all your kids. I love them. The Bible says to teach your children. Teach them everything. And as my dad tells me, you only have a little time with them. And I didn't really start seeing this until I started talking to the kids when they're six years old and then they get to be seven and now I see the nine. And the t- After that age, they, they're drifting. They're, they're, they might be in one spot, but their brain is everywhere. And they're looking at it. You only have a little bit of time as a parent. Take that time. If you have an infant and they need your time constantly, be praying for them constantly. If you have a toddler and it seems like you're no, no, just stop, 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 all over the place, teach them. Love it. In Deuteronomy 6, 7 and 9, it says, Do your best to teach your children. It's talking about God's commandments. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's all the time, right? That's that's all the time. Are you doing your best? I like the way it says, do your best, because then you're held to your standard of best. Is that my best? Really look in your heart and say, is that my best? I do my best every weekend to teach those kids. As a parent, I got two boys, two boys, and uh, I was. Uh, this was given to me, so I can't take full credit for it. That's them. I love them. Uh, I, I, when I was young, 
I would have this thing every single night. Mom and Dad, come plant my seeds. This is really cool. It's really cool. I'll give this to you if you want it. Have it. You can have it. Plant their seeds. So, of course, they lie in their stomachs and they're scratching their backs. The kids love to scratch. I don't know why. Kids love to scratch their backs at night. And I would first scratch up the ground and I would say, there was a farmer and he went out to the fields and first he plowed the ground. He took out all the little rocks. He took out all the little weeds and he plowed the ground really good. It's really good soil. And then he asked God, God, what should I plant? And God said, plant love, plant joy, plant peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the best one of all parents, self-control. I love self-control. Every time I talk to the kids, I'm like, did we use self-control this day? Do we need a little bit more self-control in our lives on this action? And they're like, yes, Mr. Tim, I need more self-control. I'm sorry. And they're digging in their nose. And I'm like, self-control right now. No. <laughs> and then we pat it down. And we water it. Nice little gentle water on their back. And I say, that's the word of God. That's the water coming into your life. And then I tell them the sun shined on the ground. And that's the sun looking down on us, making sure we're, he's always with us. And then I tell them, Out came love, out came joy, out came peace, patience. And then one day, our Savior came to that garden. And the gardener said, have some fruit. This is your ground, your seed. It's all for you anyways. Amen. So I encourage you, teach Every moment is precious. You only get a little time. If your kids have left, pray a lot. And they will, they will listen. They will, hear, they will hear the voice of God and they will, they will know to come back. That every thing you do turn into a teachable moment with your kids. Now, I got to kind of, it's going to look like we're taking a rabbit trail, but we're not. Don't worry, we're still on the trail. All right, Proverbs 18.1. And I love Proverbs, it's so practical. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise wisdom. There we go. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. Here we see the fool has two habits. Closing their mind and opening their mouth. It is imperative to have another godly person to talk to and who you are open for their correction where it's needed. That's a really good amen part right there. Look for somebody who you esteem higher than yourself. Look for someone that you can draw from to say, here I am. Everything about me is open. Any question you have, I will answer it without, without any cushion. It's just going to be bare. Tell me where I need correction. And if... if I'm true to the word. I don't want to be foolish. I'll open my ears and I'll soften my heart 
The Bible says correction from a friend is better than a kiss from an enemy, right? It just says it's better to be corrected than to be lied to. Don't forget to have that mentor in your life. If I could have Pastor come back up so we can play some music. This is another cool thing. I don't get to do this very often. Thank you so much. I'm going to wrap it up now. I'm trying to get back to being serious. I'm not in kids' church, right? The command of our Lord reminds us, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Characteristics of a disciple may be simply stated like this. One who is assured of his salvation, John 3.16, who is activated by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, John 14, verse 26, one who is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Savior, 2 Peter 3.18, and one who shares Christ's burden for the lost soul of men and women. Jesus said it like this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his, capital H, his harvest field. Matthew 9, 37. So again, I ask you, why are you still here? I mean, if saying a prayer one time, fulfilling your quota of going to church once a week feeling good about choices in life that we're going to heaven one day is all really Christianity's about. I want you to go back to the instructions and read them one more time. We are called to make disciples, to go into the world and tell others the good news of Jesus, to make disciples. First of the Father's And to the mothers, your children are your biggest fans. They love you. They want to follow after you. Teach them. Don't be afraid to let every single moment be that teachable moment. To your friends, people who esteem you, be open to them. And when someone comes and says, I esteem you, can you be my mentor? Don't be afraid to go up to that person and ask them for that mentorship. I encourage you to make Jesus' last request your lasting resolve. And go. Make disciples. Make disciples.